Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Free Will, Science, and Religion. I am Felicia Hogan, and I'm here with Chandler Clibbs. And we wanted to take a crack at the topic uh, brought by Hitchens, that religion poisons everything, specifically in the context of our own personal lives. Yeah. Did you want me to say something about that? <laughs> uh, how, would, how has it affected your life in particular? Yeah, well, one thing that's interesting is in any action that I do in my life, my thought is, would I be doing this had I not been raised in the religion that I was? Like, how much of it is an influence um, on me? Because I know it is. Because I know that all the years of growing up being taught that there's a, that there's God, heaven, and hell, and sin, and free will... All of that obviously had an effect on me. Otherwise, I would not be talking about it so much. And I think it has affected my life in a very negative way. And, and really? He, yeah. One of the major th things in that it's, it's caused a negative problem in my life is my idealism. Now, I don't know how much of it's a personality trait or how much of it is just from the idea that I was taught that I was going to get to go to heaven and it's going to be perfect. There's going to be no suffering and nobody's going to be starving or sick and it's all just going to be perfect and so ideal. So, so why do you feel like idealism is a negative trait? Well, perhaps the reason I feel that way is because a lot of other people have told me that because they say, you know, like people say, well, lower your expectations because people, you know, you can't expect much of people because they're not perfect, you know. And I get it, people aren't perfect. And that perhaps my, you know, my dreams and my ideals of a world with no violence, no hatred, no racism, no sexism, no speciesism, perhaps my ideals are a little bit, they, they're called, I'm called unrealistic by a lot of people. And so lately, maybe I've just been kind of convinced that maybe it's, it's I don't know if, if it's a negative or positive trait, but I figure, why not shoot for the ideal? Why not shoot for the, the tar even if you miss the target, but you get close to it, isn't that better than nothing? I think idealism would be a negative trait if it prevents you from being happy or appreciating things yeah perhaps it's gotten to that point where it is a little bit negative because i i am that kind of person you know who can't work at my job without noticing all the meat the customers are buying and then i'm thinking about how the animals must have suffered and how they must have been feeling what pain they must have been feeling when they were being cut open and I guess what the problem is I'm I'm unable to um perhaps it's just my high sense of empathy though my sense that there's injustice going on and I don't like to be reminded of it which is sort of why I feel like I have to fix all the problems in the world before I can be happy so that might be a perfectionism and a sense of the word I'm looking for isn't responsibility, but like 
it's your responsibility to fix everything. Yeah. And perhaps that's interesting because I had the same thing where I feel like it's my responsibility that other people are happy. What is is the word I'm looking for? This is going to kill me. (laughs) It starts with a C. Does that help? Uh, I'm trying to think of what word it is that you're thinking of. Um, I'm going to go to the the thesaurus until I find it. This is going to kill me. In any case, I wonder whether that's linked to a person of, you know, our biology, our culture, or the religion we grew up in, because I had the same issue. Yeah, I, I guess, um, and even though I understand that I'm not fundamentally responsible for problems that, first of all, I didn't cause, second of all, even if I have contributed to them, it wasn't my free will, it wasn't my choice, because I'm just following with the way I was taught and, you know, and all that. So the free will thing tight explains why I'm not responsible, and yet I feel driven, I'm compelled that I just have to fix these problems. In, and so uh, there's a sort of an obligation, not in the sense that so, that there's somebody telling me that I have to do it, not because I feel responsible for the situations, but it's more a sense of if I don't do it, who will? But know? also, I mean, there's there's a way to deal with that in a healthy a healthy manner. I need to find a healthy way to deal with that. I saw a therapist. <laughs> yeah, I see a therapist too. <laughs> that helped. Yeah. Oh, I also read uh, The Gifts of Imperfections by Brene Brown. Oh, I've heard of that author. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. That helped a lot because I I felt I realized that I was blaming myself for a lot of things and my perfectionism was getting in the way and yeah, I just learning that um I can only do what I can do and learning to be okay with that. I cannot find the word I was I was looking for. Yeah, I mean I guess there's that sense that. For example, I mean, there's a lot of things that we know that we can't do anything about it. It's true. I mean, sure, there's people being blown away by tornadoes or or in car crashes and dying of diseases and dying in wars and, and, and all these things. And I understand logically that I can't do anything to stop these things that happen, but I guess that I... I guess I sort of would like the idea that I can, you know, be Superman and fix the problem, be the be the superhero that that stops stops these with superhuman strength or something. I guess perhaps that was because that's partially an influence of playing so many video games. I have saved Hyrule from Ganon so many times it's not even funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was an easier way to isolate what leads to us feeling or thinking or doing certain things. Yeah. Cause I can see certain causes in my past, certain things in my past that made me wish that, Oh, if only I had been strong enough or smart enough back then I could have done something. And I wasn't, and I realized that I can't turn back time and fix things now. And yet what it comes down to is I realize 
there is that sense of being powerless to change things. Um, but actually, this is something that, um, I mean, it sounds a little bit like fatalism, I guess, in a way, just because realizing that I actually have very little influence on a global scale, you know, of what happens and what people do. There's very little I can do about that, if anything. And I guess it is at some point I have to be able to still live my life and be happy, even though I can't fix everything. That's a difficult place to come to. I think it's interesting, though, um, comparing the ideas that religion isn't all bad. And, you know, there there are a lot of progressive Christians these days. Um, who are pro same sex marriage, who are vegetarian or vegan, who don't tell you you're going to hell, who are, you know, pro life or pro choice, depending on which way, you know, you agree with that's going to determine whether or not you think that they're progressive and that sort of thing. But, well, yeah. <laughs> Like some people are going to think that the progressive Christians are pro-choice, other people are going to think that they're pro-life. But you, you, you know, depending on what's uh, what side of things you're on. Uh, yeah. But that, but the idea that religion isn't all bad, and they're, you know, it does it does good in people's lives. Well, you know, Felicia, I actually have a counter argument to that. Okay. Um, because basically they say, well, you know, religion may have been bad for you, but it's not bad for everybody. And there are there are religious people who do good, you know. But here's what you will notice is that the more um, the more progressive people, the most moral people, the people who are radically compassionate and more loving and more accepting. One thing you will notice is they become less religious. You notice that, well, okay, we like gay, we love gay people, so screw what the Bible says about homosexuality. You know that it's there's that attitude, like, well, no, they justify it. What? They justify, like they they justify doing away with the Old Testament view of homosexuality. Usually, something along the lines of Jesus told us to love everybody. Yes, I have heard this before. They're like, oh, that's the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. And Jesus wants, to, wants us to love everybody, yeah. So let's just all be Christians that in fault. And what they have done is they've sort of done like what compatibilists do. You know, compatibilists redefine free will. These progressive Christians, what they do is they redefine Christianity as loving people, following the golden rule, just being nice, caring people. Even though it's supposed to not change, and morality is supposed to be absolute, and God's supposed to be unchanging, but apparently it's <laughs> changed a lot. Apparently. <laughs> and, you know, the whole objective versus subjective morality thing, I, I believe I watched one of your videos related to that topic. Um, Probably, yeah. I mean, I know I have done one. Yeah, and the and yeah, the problem is yeah, they're like, well, God is the source of morality. God never changes. But they're saying, well, the stuff in the Old Testament was right at the time, but now it's not right. So we so we've just thrown away a portion of objective morality. And then I'm yeah. like <laughs> And so I find that hypocritical. You know, I find that to be a contradiction. And sure, if if there's a bunch of people who just want to love 
everybody and be vegan and I mean then basically they're the same as the person that I want to be the only difference though if they're doing that and I'm doing that the only difference is that they're calling themselves a Christian and I'm calling myself you know um, an atheist or a or a brony or whatever I am you know I don't know what I am anymore but they are using a label which has a tradition of hatred and judgment and hellfire. And so are you saying that these progressive Christians, it's not that their religion is leading them to be moral, it's that their morality is leading them to redefine their religion? Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Because I think that's they, an interesting take. Because, yeah, they have a sense that well, wait a minute, women should have equal rights as men. Black people are not subhuman. They should be treated the same as whites. And then they turn vegetarian and vegan, you know, and they're like, well, yeah, we should be kind to animals too, and we should not pollute our planet. And they have all these new moral, they have this moral compass and this empathy that drives them to be wonderful people. And I'm not denying that there are wonderful people who call themselves Christians or, or whatever other religion there might be. It's just that what's happened is that they basically are coming up with a new religion that, just, that matches their already existing biological and environmental factors that form their morality, and they're taking that and saying, well, that's what Christianity is. And it just so happens. Couldn't we flip this argument, though? And say that then the bad things aren't because of religion either, but because of their biology or lower standards of morality, which you know isn't their fault anyways because there's no free will. Yeah, I, I suppose there's an argument to may, be made for that, and that's why there are two sides on this whole religion poisons everything debate because it is kind of a big debate in a way. Um, and it, so, yeah, some people, they will just say, well, you know, pe people who are cruel do cruel things. People who are kind do kind things. And for some of these people, they say that religion has nothing to do with it. But the reason that I say religion definitely poisoned my life is that I found out that there really was a kind Chandler Klebs waiting to get out but they could only get out after I lost the belief in God and hellfire and all of these things that kept me so trapped in fear and emotions that I could no longer see, you know, logically to do what was the best for me and everyone else. Right. The, the thing that concerns me about Christianity specifically. And obviously, I mean, religion is a very broad topic and there are several out there, several big ones and a gazillion other small, smaller religions and cults. But we're talking mostly about Christianity because A, that's the background we both came from. We're both in the South where it's the predominant uh, ideology by far. And we both live in a country that last we heard was 78% Christian 
led with leaders that are almost all Christian. So it's, it's really what we know best and yeah. what our lives the most. Yeah, and some people, they, <laughs> they, they ask atheists, like, well, why do you pick on Christianity so much? Why not Islam or Hinduism or something? And, well, it might have something to do with the fact that I don't know any of those people. I don't know I don't that I don't know in this country people of those belief systems. I probably would be more interested in it if I knew people that that actually formed their worldview and their morality. But because I live in America, Christianity is all I ever hear. <laughs> and Tennessee, this past legislative session, they tried to add the Bible as the state book. Oh. Hi. And then you just saw you just like something on my or commented on my Facebook where Idaho is trying to get it used as a textbook. Yeah. I mean, they start putting the Quran in those places and trying to make the Quran the state book, or the, uh, they're making the Quran a textbook, or they're having mandatory classes on the Quran as literature, or they're pledging allegiance to the Quran, reading the Quran verses over the intercom every morning like they do bible verses in tech in a texas school then i'll start being really concerned about about islam in the meantime though yeah <laughs> i get what you're saying felicia because it's all around us it's always the bible it's always jesus it's always hell and that's that's why i'm concerned and here's part of the problem is that one of my problems with um progressive Christians is not the, them specifically, but it's how they allow the injustices done by the other branches of Christianity to continue doing what they're doing. It's sort of like, you know, you've got the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, telling people they're going to hell and that God hates them and, and picketing at funerals and doing all sorts of weird stuff. But then people are always quick to do the whole, well, not all Christians are like that. And the, and I'm like, well, I never said all Christians are like that. But here's a group of people calling themselves Christians doing this thing. Will you help us stop them? A lot have. Yeah, I mean, sure, there, there are some pe attempts to stop them. But what I have found in my experience relationship with people is they're like, well, no, we must not challenge the Westboro Baptist Church because we must respect their freedom of religion. You know, because freedom of speech, too. Yeah, freedom of speech is another one because it's sort of tricky because even though I'm sort of like a freedom of speech uh, person, the problem is, I guess, um, I what I've noticed is it's always a double standard because if somebody says something and then you're trying to explain well what you're saying here is not factually true and they're like well I'm 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 free to speak what I believe and they're like well yeah but it's not scientifically or philosophically or even theologically correct it's wrong it's not true what you're saying is crazy yes but I'm free to believe what I believe and you believe what you believe and then we're both right nobody's right or wrong you know okay i think we took a, we took a strange leap from freedom of speech to everybody's right i've never actually heard anybody say everybody's right um i have however heard people complain about you disagreeing with them and how it's their freedom of speech but i just explained like yeah it's you're free to say it and i'm free to express that i think you're wrong 
That's how it works. What I can't do is stop you from saying it. That's how freedom of speech works. Yeah, I, I agree. That's actually the way it should work. Well, legally, that's how it works. Yeah, that's the way legally it works. That's the way that ideally I want it to work. I've just noticed that often there is a tendency, no matter what the debate, whether it's religion or something else, a tendency for one side to try to silence the other and make sure that they get heard and the other people are hushed. So I guess that's the double standard I was speaking to. I don't think that one's religious. I think that one's just human. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> because cause I, you know, when I pass by something that's really nationalistic, I have the urge to turn it around, like, so nobody can see it or stand in front of it or something like that. Something, a message that I find harmful. I, you know, I have the urge to silence it, but you can't do that. And I think it, it, that's the issue mostly is that it's the things we find harmful. We want, we want it to stop. Well, yeah, because I feel a way about that. Like, um, for example, one of the things that bugs me is parents teaching their kids that their Christmas presents are delivered by a fat old man from the North Pole with flying reindeer. I mean, to, I, I've always been bothered by that because, you know, you know, I don't want to tell parents how they have to raise their kids. But at the same time, I can't help be upset by the fact that they are blatantly lying to their children and they know it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, my actually, interestingly enough, my parents never told me that Santa Claus existed. Ne never. Because my, my mom felt as you do. She's like, I don't want to lie to them. Uh, but the issue was my teachers told, my teach my preschool, my preschool teacher told me that he existed and we made reindeer food. And then I went to Walmart or the mall and saw Santa. <laughs> so there was no convincing me otherwise until I asked for a pink tutu for several years in a row. And I was really good, but I never got it. <laughs> oh man. So you know that, um, that, that there wasn't a real Santa Claus getting your, your letters saying that you wanted a pink tutu. Otherwise, Santa Claus would have known that and you would have got your pink tutu because you were good. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if there was a Santa Claus, he was supposed to know or something like that. I mean, several years. And there was, there. yeah. Of course, then I wonder why it took me so long to figure out that prayer didn't work. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and you know what, Felicia, I see it as the same thing. I look, I look at the God thing, and I look at it as kind of like the Santa Claus thing. It seems like, well, I don't see reliable evidence that people's prayers are getting answered. I'm not really seeing that, you know. It's an unfalsifiable claim. Well, yeah, and because <laughs> because yeah, the reason it's unfalsifiable is because. If you pray for healing of a sick person and then they die, well, God's answer was no. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, yeah, so they've got an answer for everything. So, I mean, if somebody told me that I could ask for a pink tutu from Santa Claus and then Santa Claus would choose whether or not to give it to me, if I didn't get it, it was because his answer was no or because he had a better present for me. Or, his, or he would get it for me later. It might have taken me a lot longer to figure it out. 
Wow. I hadn't thought of it that way. Because that- Santa Claus, they don't create an unfalsifiable claim for him. It's if you're good, you'll get what you ask for. Right. They don't provide a safety net. Well, there's another trick that they might do, though. They might claim that you weren't truly good enough to get the pink tutu. That's true. <laughs> and you know what? Christians do that, too. They're like, well, that's because you didn't pray with enough faith and to your fault. Or you have sin in your life or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting about that, Felicia, is that once again, it gets into the whole free will thing, blaming people that it's their fault that God won't answer their prayer. Which reminds me of some of the other issues that I have with Christianity specifically and how religion poisons, how Christianity or religion poisons everything is that so many of its messages seem inherently harmful. For instance, recently, you know, I haven't been talking to my parents, but my uncle visited them in, I think they're in New York now. I'm not entirely certain. And he sent me a bunch of my stuff. So I've been keeping a journal since the seventh grade. three, five, nine years now. Um, And he sent back a lot of my journals, some school papers, some random junk, you know, things I colored in kindergarten like that. And among them was a prayer journal from when I was 14 and 15. I was really bad at keeping up with that one. And I, I, so I sat down and I read it. I'm like, oh, this should be, you know, interesting. And it was awful. It was so tragic. I cried so hard when I read it. Oh. It was horrible. I I mean, I should read you some of that stuff sometime. Probably not on the air. It's, yeah. It's it's so terrible. It's like when I when I wasn't apologizing for being a 15 year old who's who never had sex ed, who's figuring out her own body. I wasn't apologizing and feeling terribly guilty for that. Then I was uh, actually praying to die. You know what? I did the same thing. Because I was so lonely and hurting so badly. And I had, you know, I have recurring major depression that was at that time undiagnosed. Not for any good reason it was undiagnosed. My parents both know about depression. My mom has depression. Her whole family has depression. And they got my younger sister medicated in like the third grade. But when I told my dad in the seventh grade that I was having suicidal thoughts, he didn't believe me. Oh, man. So I didn't get medicated until I was 15. Till sophomore year of high school. And I didn't even remember that things were still that bad then. And just, I mean, the guilt of it all. And it was just, it was horrible. Like I didn't, I did not need to be feeling that things were my fault then. And frustration with myself that I continue to sin. And I mean, I read it and just thought, oh my God, religion poisons everything. Yeah, you know what? It really does, Felicia. And this idea that it's your fault, that you're to blame for 
being a teenager, for feeling how you feel, thinking how you think, especially when you realize it could be no other way. I mean, part of the that's part of why I think perhaps that the free will belief is one of the major reasons that religion poisons everything is because they're teaching you're responsible. If you're if you're depressed, well, it's your fault. You should choose to be happy. You know, I've heard that before. Yeah, me too. And you know, a, a personal story that's always gone on with me is that whenever I was depressed, whenever I was upset about anything, well, it was my fault because I hadn't forgiven my father. And I'm like, um, that has nothing to do with what I'm depressed about right now. And they kept like, well, if you don't forgive others, then your heavenly father will not forgive you. So for so forgive or go to hell. Oh, my goodness. Well, that escalated quickly. It did escalate quickly. But that was basically the message I was given by the Christians in the churches I've been in. It, it was always Chandler's fault that he didn't forgive his dad. You know, and I'm like, ugh. well, maybe it's your dad's fault for being a jerk. Which I'm assuming is what happened. I don't actually know the story. Well, yeah, it, it was it was a little bit more of my father um, divorcing my mom after physically uh, abusing her and not paying child support and it a whole bunch of other problems with my dad. And so you're telling me that jerk was an understatement. Yeah, jerk was sort of an understatement. But what was so bizarre about it is that. Just because I may have forgiven my father now um, does not mean that I am not still now in my adult life suffering from the bad experiences from my father and from growing up without a dad, you know, and there's that. There, and this is a, a kind of a confusion like, well, what is a man? How do I be a man? Sort of a that's a sort of a man thing you wouldn't understand, but you know, like. Wait, did you seriously just use that line on me? What? I didn't mean to offend you or anything. I, Wait, I just, did you just say that I wouldn't understand? Well, well, yeah, I'm just mean, like because. Or are you joking? Well, I yeah, it was kind of it was kind of joke, but I was, what I was just saying is that like I guess I did have this struggle about well. What's a, what is a man? And I didn't want to be a man because my father was a man and he wasn't that great. So it was more along that line, you know? Well, I, I absolutely understand that sentiment, even if I am female. And I am also aware of the studies and the psychology behind uh, kids who grew up with one parent. It seems like uh, majority of them struggle with the same thing and while I don't necessarily think that it's you know I don't know how to be a, a man because I don't I don't know of any studies that show that someone who grows up with two moms has the same issue huh but um having one parent seems to greatly affect one's childhood and growing up and sense of self and independence and self-worth. Yeah, well, see, you do understand. Yeah. Of course I understand. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, I, you know, and I wasn't trying to say anything offensive, you know, I mean, I would just, I didn't think that you would understand that particular type of thing, you know. I, I am way more intelligent than you give me credit for. Hey, I wasn't saying you weren't intelligent, but 
But actually, Felicia, it sounds like you've done a lot of research on this type of thing. You know a lot more about how common what I was experiencing may be. I didn't really think it was that common of a thing. Oh, yeah. It's, in it, yeah. <laughs> it, it's an incredibly common thing to go through. And then I, my very first boyfriend, um, also, his dad was kind of... So I, I, I realized that we agreed to try to stay away from curse words. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a suitable synonym. Um, similar, similar to your dad. Okay. Whatever, whatever word we would choose to use to describe him. And uh, I remember that Connor, that was the, the, my boyfriend's name. He felt the same, the same way. He felt a lot of anxiety over growing up and his greatest fear was becoming like his dad so much so that it was almost it was debilitating yeah um yeah and there's a lot of stress because his mom was you know working to support both of them his dad of course wasn't paying child support and he had a younger sister and a younger brother and his younger brother had special needs and there's a lot of stress on him to try to keep things together yeah, so maybe it's a lot more common than I thought. And yeah, I and I yeah, I guess it makes sense that you understand after thinking about it. Um so, you know, <laughs> excuse my ignorance of your intelligence. Um <laughs> I did, you know, I, you know, I was just thinking that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, be in a different gender that you wouldn't be able to relate to that particular experience. Because, I mean, it's not like you were ever trying, you were ever worried about growing up to be a man, I don't think, but. <laughs> no, and plus, I I mean, there's a, been a really big push in the last couple of decades for women to be equals. So I don't have to worry so much about learning how to grow up to be a woman. Yeah. Because I'm going to be whoever I freaking feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm going to do what I want and gender doesn't play into it. Whereas the social stereotypes for men have not evened out with that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about it, Felicia, is part of the problem is that if you look at, you know, cartoons for boys, you look at the men in the movies and in stories, men are supposed to be mean. They're supposed to be tough. They're supposed to be violent. And generally, they are supposed to be what my father was, which is what I didn't want to be. So it was kind. Of, it was really kind of strange because for I had like a transgender phase and everything, thinking, well, maybe I can be a woman because I don't want to be a man. And <laughs> yeah, I, I was pretty messed up. I well, well, I wouldn't say that is a messed up thought. You think it makes sense? I think that people who are transgender and who feel like they are the opposite gender, I accept that and think that people should be able to do what makes them happy. Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I would never say that it is a messed up thought. It's, I think it's more common than you would think. Well, yeah, and, you know, I have read a lot of stories of transgender people, too, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's not a valid thing, and yet I see kind of the causes that led me to be that way, 
And but what was really bad about it, Felicia, is at that time I felt guilty. I felt really guilty, you know, being raised as I was and the kind of culture I was. I felt guilty for having these thoughts. That's that's so awful. That guilt again. It just yeah, the the guilt that hit you when you were a teenager and hit me in in my later teens, early twenties. You know that it was really bad. You know there was a lot of suicide. There was self harm. Just you know, sort of not going into all the details of that in this you know this podcast, obviously. But yeah, this guilt. See, Felicia, that's the whole point. This whole guilt that religion poisons us with. That is why I have become of the camp that says, yeah, it poisons everything. Yeah. And then aside from that, I think that just the the fact that Christianity has become painting a sociopath as a loving being, I find extremely disturbing. Yeah, it it is kind of disturbing. Um, you know, one of the problems, and and George has mentioned this too in some of the podcasts, is that as soon as people realize that they're not responsible, they're they don't have a free will, they couldn't be responsible for whatever's wrong with them. Well, then what happens is people start um, they start thinking, well, then it's God's fault. God is to blame for you know for all my problems and once it gets into that realm it's a difficult one it's a very difficult one because people are taught that god is moral and just and loving and yet at the same time he's described as a psychopathic lunatic i actually think he might be a sociopath instead of a psychopath yeah could you educate me a little on the difference because i'm confused uh, well, it's an extremely confusing topic because in one of the DCM or DSMs, DCM, DSM, I don't know. This is actually not my area of expertise. In any case, in one of the books that lists the um, all the different mental illnesses and illnesses, it, they were melded into one thing for one of the editions, and now they've been separated again. Really. And, Yes, so it's completely messed everything up as far as definitions go. And there's not really a consensus on which one is which. Uh, I did consult a friend of mine who was going to school to be a criminal profiler um, for a book I'm writing with a couple of my friends. And she described it and there are probably people listening who disagree, but like I said, it's a very convoluted subject. Uh, she described it as psychopaths are more unpredictable and don't make the connection with morality or understand what they're doing is wrong. Mm. They're, they're, I guess they're crazier. I guess psychosis, if you're familiar with that, that would that would go in there, um, and that would would have more to do with being delusional as well. 
Oh, I think I sort of get the difference because, like, in that, of course, you know, we're not saying this the way because it's convoluted, all that. But it sounds like a psychopath is more, um, kind of more on the crazy side of things, doing absolutely crazy and sometimes harmful things, whereas a sociopath is one that's generally lacking empathy, not caring, you know, who they hurt. Well, they're both defined as lacking empathy. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> it's their defining characteristic, and they both have it, which makes it difficult. But it seems like the psychopath is less controlled, is what is what she was telling me. And there are a lot of opposing opinions both ways, and there has it doesn't seem like there's been an official definition that has separated the two of them. Yeah. Um, but then she was saying like the sociopath will is is more of a, a thinker, more logical, um, has reasons for what they do and understands that what they're doing is considered wrong, but they don't care or they think they're above it. Interesting. I sort of get it. So you might say a sociopath is just slightly more in touch with reality than a psychopath, but they both yes. lack this essential empathy. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think that will help me in conversation which word I use. I well, think considering that it's convoluted and everybody pretty much just uses psychopath. It, it probably won't do you a, a look of good, just so you know. But I think that God is a sociopath instead of a psychopath based on that definition. Yeah, very interesting. And what's interesting about this, Felicia, is that, you know, people don't choose to be a sociopath or a psychopath either. You know? That's I mean, true. And that's the thing is I ha I understand that. I may feel really bad about people who do harmful things um, without caring, um, but at the same time, I don't blame them for that anymore. And so that's that's an important thing to know. Um, it's just like, wow, your brain is really messed up. Yeah. That, yeah, it's more of like, I feel sorry for you. You know, it's the same as a... Um, just any other sickness. It's like if somebody is in an accident and they lose a leg, uh, you know, or something like that. You feel I, empathy. Yeah, I feel terrible for that person. I wouldn't want that to happen to me. But often, you know, when I like people, when it's an illness in their brain, there's something wrong with their brain that makes them behave in a way that's either harmful or just, you know, crazy, whether it's harmful or not. You know, people judge them and say, well, they should choose to quit being this way. But or that person is just pure evil. Right. And I don't think that there I don't think there is a pure evil um, anymore. I no longer view things in terms of anybody being purely good or purely evil, only that the acts which they do are good or evil. And, right. you know, and there's reasons for what leads them to, you know, down their path. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's really pretty simple. And, yeah, Felicia, what's cool about the, what you bring to this podcast, you know, you bring all this information about the brain and, and neuroscience and psychology and some of this stuff that I'm actually not too educated on. You know, I'm 
I'm kind of new to this. Of course, George has looked into a lot of this, but yeah, what's interesting is that I think <clears throat> the main purpose of a lot of counseling when people have depression and they have, you know, emotional problems is to help them overcome the guilt that, that is placed on them by other people. Um, and I guess what's happened is that even though, yeah, I mean, I have my, my times when I'm depressed about feeling like I'm not making enough of a positive difference in this world, I've come a long way from being a suicidal teenager. I've come a long way since then, you know, and I feel like, well, I don't need to feel guilty that I am a, a, a creature of pure evil or anything like that. Yeah. And, and you know what? I have gone back to people who I've hurt, who I've said um, awful judgmental things to and apologized to them. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm sorry I was such a jerk to you back then. I didn't know how to be any other way at that time, you know. And it, it's it's really kind of weird. Um, but I feel – and it's kind of weird because I understand that I'm not responsible, and yet I very much feel like I want to repair the damage I've done if I've hurt anybody. I think that's the empathy again. Yeah. You feel You feel empathy for the pain you've caused, and you want to do something to fix it. Yeah, I think that's more what it is because it's just realizing that that I've caused some harm, even if it was something I wasn't fully aware I was doing, because I have I am a person who is aware of the harm done, you know, especially if I'm the one who did it, then I am the one who probably is best qualified to try to fix it, you know, to try to undo damage I've done. And, and I, and, you know, I've, I've, I've done that, you know, um, good for you. Yeah. And, and that what's actually, it's very interesting, you know, because I, you know, I apologize to my sister, you know, for how I used to hate her and blame her. I didn't know you have a sister. Yeah, I have a sister, and part of the reason I don't talk about her so much is, well, you know, we're still not all not all that great terms, and you might say that she's kind of like I used to be. Oh. Yeah, very religious, very wanting to argue and convert everyone, and I guess I, you know, I I don't. I don't want to be the person she is, just like I don't want to be the person I used to be. I just because I don't hate my sister, I don't blame her. I say that I've forgiven my sister, I've forgiven my dad, um, and so I hope that we can be, you know, at peace. And but I, but I even apologize, you know, for what I've done, even though I understand it wasn't my fault. I just I want them to know that I care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I guess um, part of and, you know, the main reason I'm such a big part of this podcast, you know, because I, I work quite a bit at, you know, trying to make sure I'm on Skype, you know, or, you know, editing and organizing and uploading the files. Part of the reason I put so much effort into this this free will science and religion podcast and stuff is because I believe that this can heal friendships. It can heal the world. It, even if it, I, I can't make it as ideal as it would in, you know, Ponyville or something like that. I can't make the world literally heaven as much as I like. 
But I do think it can be better. I think it can be better at with people are no longer blaming each other and hating each other and trying to repair things. You know, I think it can be much better than it has been. And that's what keeps me going now. That's what's like, hey, you know, maybe I'm making a difference with this. That was beautiful. And I think that's a beautiful way to end this podcast as well. Yeah, I guess that's the real that's a really good thing. I think it was a great podcast. Like <laughs> I <laughs> okay. really enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. I guess um did you want to do the closing or do should I? I can I can go ahead. Thank you, everybody, for joining us again for another episode of Free Will, Science, and Religion. Be sure to uh, stay tuned for next time.